by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy of the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey, and I'm here tonight with my colleague Kurt Levins, all the way from Pender Island, where he watched the Oilers stream the flames four to three. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Bruce. How are you tonight, my friend? I'm very happy the streaming is done, man, I have to say. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, it's a test, and we had six in a row, and now the last two are televised, and then the 82 are all televised, and uh, we're back to uh, back to normal. Man, it's tough to tough to follow when you can't when you don't get the second look at stuff, eh? Yeah, and that that uh, shot from the nosebleeds. You know, I didn't used to need glasses when I watched Oilers games, but mm-hmm. <laughs> watching that feed tonight, the only way I can see their numbers is I've got my specs on. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'll be happy when we're back to their regular television coverage. So our usual host, David Staples, is otherwise engaged tonight. So uh, uh, Kurt and I are, are picking up with Kurt pinch hitting for David. Well, I'm kind of pinch hitting for David. And Kurt's pinch hitting for me, I guess is one way to look at it. Hey. And our friend Ira Cooper, original Posar, is pinch hitting for all of us and doing the game grades for tonight's game. So, uh, And he, of course, has to deal with that stream so go easy on him it's tough to tough to do grades off a of stream i can vouch for it i hope he wears the posar uh posar helmet when he's doing his game grades <laughs> man i love posar i love posar he was one of my <laughs> still one of my all-time favorites Just, uh, showed up when it mattered didn't he, <laughs> he sure did. tough yeah. as nails <laughs> and such a way with words when english was not only his second language but learned as a as well into his adulthood, so he, uh, he he wasn't sort of real facile in it, but he had the words to express what he was trying to say, and, and sometimes he put them together funny, and it would make you laugh. Pick so, the right ones, though, yeah. <laughs> what makes us laugh tonight? Let's talk about the hockey game before we get into the good things and the bad things. Let's talk about the hockey game as a whole. How others fall into a, a three-cob hole and then roar back with... Uh, uh, four goals, including two pairs of goals, uh, each scored in, in very quick succession. First to cut it to 3-2 and then to turn the game completely in the third period. So, Kurt, what was your what was your take on the sort of unevenness, I guess, of the game as a whole? Yeah, I think my generalization would be um, uh, often the Oilers had no answer for the Flames forecheck. And that was a big reason why the, the score ballooned to 3 nothing. But I thought even more often, the Flames had no answer for the Oilers' speed. Um, and that converted into power plays and goals. And in the end, I think uh, uh, the, difference be- the, the difference between those two things, if you will, is what decided the game. So I know that's a bit of a generalization, but I thought, thought the Flames were great on the forecheck, but they couldn't be on the forecheck all night. And when the... Uh, when the Oilers got got the puck moving north, man, they were tough to stop. Right on. Yeah. Well, it was uh, uh, send the fans home happy. I'm pretty sure Dave Tippett will probably be less unhappy than he was after the last four three win over Winnipeg on Saturday night when he lit into a couple of his players. I suspect tonight he'll be a little more even keeled, but uh, he'll still have lots of game film to chomp on for the next uh, 24 hours and. Things to look at and uh, 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 new player, uh, important player, Duncan Keith made his Oilers debut tonight. And uh, uh, we'll be talking about him as we get into the podcast more. But uh, uh, it's uh, interesting to see such a such a uh, uh, famous and accomplished 
player with what 1200 career games plus 100 100 odd more in the playoffs uh lining up we're in the or in the uh orange and blue so uh we'll have uh uh, we'll learn lots about Mr. Keith in the coming days, even though we know him pretty well already from his 16 years as the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't know what you earned heard. his his earned his uh, first unofficial Oilers assist tonight. <laughs> it'll it'll only it'll only show up in the preseason statistics, but uh, there's one for the history books. But I I'm with you. You know, there's a feature on on Twitter sometimes, and it's called it's called uh, wearing the wrong uniform, and they'll show a famous player. Oh, yeah. um, they'll show they'll show a famous player who spent most of his career with one franchise, um, and then they'll show him in a uniform that he you know finished his career with, uh, right. and you know it's like Gary Carter in a San Diego Padres uniform, uh, you know, and it's just like right. that one of these things doesn't look like the other, and that was a little bit right. like uh, Duncan Keith when I saw him for the first time tonight with the oil dry on. I'm I'm sure we'll get used to it, but it 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 looked a little out of place to start with. I have to admit. So. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, so did he to start with, but uh, I, yeah. I would say yeah. as well. But uh, as you say, he uh, he did earn an assist, and it was a, it was kind of a it was a kind of a weird one that he kind of did a spinorama and just kind of fished the puck out from behind him and and sent it up the boards into what turned out to be the good ice, and uh, Drysaddle won the race to it and uh, it wound up going the other way in a hurry and. A little bit of good luck, a little bit of good management. I mean, Keith put the puck in a good spot, and he got it out of a bad spot, so points for that. But uh, anyway, we'll talk more about him in a bit. Let's begin. Tonight, we're, we're, as always, we're going to do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. And as usual, when the Oilers win, we're going to fudge the two good things a bit and have, take two good things each. So, because uh, lots of nice things to talk about, so. Anyway, hey, when orders win, you don't want to say spend as much time talking about the bad stuff as the good stuff. I know I don't. I want to talk. About the good Absolutely. Stuff. So, Kurt, you go first. What's your What's your first good thing? Well, I'll pick I'll pick an easy one. The low hanging fruit. Uh, I'll pick Connor McDavid, who oh. I thought from the word from the word go this morning uh, had those uh, sprinters sneakers on. Man, he was flying um, in the first period twice. He broke down the right-hand side and just swept past the Flames defenseman and in on goal. Uh, there was another sequence later where uh, where he had the puck in front of the, the net, lost it, recovered it in the corner, and came out again. You could hear the whole crowd go, ooh. <laughs> it was that big circle in, 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 in the attacking zone. And to, to turn those, to make those tight of turns at such a high rate of speed, as I just, I'll never get tired of watching that. Um, and then the goal that he he scored, he was credited with. I'll say that yeah. because uh, again, it was a, it was just a phenomenal sortie down the ice, beat everybody um, except uh, Tan of Stick, got tripped, and flew ass over tea kettle into the Flames goaltender. Uh, and then yes, Yessi Pulyarvi put the puck off of uh, McDavid's backside or back or shoulder or whatever it was into the net. Soon followed by Connor McDavid, uh, and I don't know about you, but I drew in a pretty sharp breath when I saw that because while I was happy to see the puck go in, I have to admit my primary thought was, "Oh my God, not again!" <laughs> uh, because of... he was he, right; he was flying when he went into the net, and uh, 
And I thought that was, I don't know about you, Bruce, I thought that was a dangerous play. And I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a call in that play. I mean, that's a, that's a trip every day of the week and twice on a, oh, twice wow. on a Sunday, according to me. Stick right between his two legs and just send him flying. It was as obvious a trip as could be. And Calgary uh, foolishly challenged the call because they said McDavid hit what marked him. Well, yeah, he did because he got hauled down <laughs> by Tanev in the best Mark Giordano fashion, or the worst, uh, depending on your taste. Uh, uh, so he was in the crease for a reason. I'm with you. They they the camera panned to Pugliarvi and the rest of the guys celebrating the goal. And all I'm saying is, get up, get up. Yep. Please get be up. okay. Please be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so, but he was okay. But he did get he up. up. Yeah. He, he looked a little, looked a little bit shaken up. I thought when he got up, he looked like he'd taken a yeah. bit of a knock, and I'm sure he had. You know. But, yeah. He was probably a little annoyed too, knowing Connor, right? Yeah. No, so, but yeah, he did get up and he was okay. Ended the night with a goal and a, an assist, two points, eight shots on net, and was frequently um, uh, uh, flying through the universe at warp speed, which is uh, what any Oilers fan loves to see on any given night. And of course, it was a huge part of that two for three uh, power play in the evening as well. So that's my good thing. Yeah, as I say, it's the easy one to pick, but he's sure fun to talk about. Mine's an easy one to pick too, and it's related. And it is that two for three power play, or that two for two power play, and turned the game around in the third period. Uh, first of all, we had uh, for Calgary, uh, oh, Milan Lucic took a holding penalty, and Flames almost killed it off. They got to within five ticks of the end of that power play when the goal we just described happened, where McDavid crashed uh, into the <clears throat> into the netminder. And then Calgary foolishly challenged the call. And the, the call, it was pretty obvious that McDavid had been tripped ass over tea kettle, as you said. I was saying to my wife, they should give Calgary a delay of game and a tripping penalty when they look at this replay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that didn't quite happen. But uh, uh, no matter, it took the Oilers' power play an additional 55 seconds to cash a second time. Now, that, of course, the go-ahead goal, having just tied it on their other power play. And yet another game that we've seen a few times over the last uh, two years, certainly during the Dave Tippett uh, era, era uh, that uh, uh, power play or special teams has won a game where the Oilers actually got outscored 3-2 to two at 5-on-5, five five, but they come away with the zero points for the exhibition win because of the uh, the two power play goals in the third period. That, that power play is a lethal weapon. As long as the refs remember the game has rules and uh, they have to call them once in a while, uh, the Oilers are in mighty good shape to uh, take advantage when they do. Heard Rob Brown say tonight on the Oilers broadcast, uh, he said one of the things uh, that, that makes that power play so dangerous, if you want to set aside, you know, 29 and 97, is the mm-hmm. fact that all five guys on the ice in both units Right. can either set up the goal or score the goal. And mm-hmm. I, I'd never heard it put quite that way before, but I thought that was a pretty smart observation. Yeah. Well, they, eight of them all together, because, uh, um, or it depends on the night, but uh, uh, Drysaddle and McDavid stay out for both units. So three other guys get replaced, or sometimes the point man and the net front guy gets replaced, and they leave Nuge out there. They did that some last year, but uh, they yeah. do have some... some uh, decent options on on the second unit now so that's uh, that's a good thing 
I have to say that out of the unit, one guy that impressed me a lot tonight during the game generally was Tyson Berry. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought he was pretty strong. I thought he moved the puck well. He was skating well. He hammered a couple of real good slap shots from the point that, that tested uh, Jacob Markstrom. And he it was a good Tyson Berry that we saw tonight. I think he wound up minus one on the first Calgary goal when Nurse's pass hit a skate and bounced in front, and he was trying to sort of make an emergency play and failed to do that. And that's obviously not his forte. Uh, but uh, uh, I thought when he was on his skates, he was uh, uh, he was an effective player and good good puck mover and, and uh, uh, just such a so dangerous on the attack. Like he can show up anywhere on the ice at any given moment there. He's, he just fits around here and there. Seven shot attempts tonight, so uh, which led the de- defense score. So he yeah, you know what he uh, he he skates uh, he skates way better than the average defenseman, and I'd say he handles the puck better than the average forward. That's a pretty good combination. Yeah, that's that's a reasonable way to put it. Yeah, he does dangle the puck really well for for uh, <clears throat> D man when he's on his game, like I thought he was tonight. He's a, a very positive player for the Oilers. Okay, let's move on. Second good thing, Kurt, is the fourth line. Uh, and I think the fourth line that we saw play for the Oilers tonight is going to be the fourth line to start the season. I think uh, I think it was uh, a fait accompli that uh, Devin Shore was going to make this club. I don't think anybody had many doubts about that. But uh, Brendan Perlini scored his fifth, count him, five goals in the preseason for, for, for the big man. Um, and Kyle Turris, uh, who I thought had by far his best game of the preseason, um, so as a unit, I thought they played well all night long, but key to this game and the TSN turning point, if you will, it was three, nothing Calgary at one point. And I imagine most of us were thinking, Oh God, <laughs> where's this going to go tonight? Uh, but then, you know, the fourth line went to work, uh, uh-huh. and it was, it was, uh, Kyle Turris who, who intercepted the pass in the attacking zone. And then it made a neat little pass across the slot. To, uh, to Brendan Perlini, who, who shot the puck against the grain, if you will, um, and caught Markstrom going just ever so slightly the other direction and squeezed it in uh, inside the far post to make it 3-1. And I really thought that started to, to turn the momentum a little bit there because when it was 3-0, it was all flames. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was looking like this, that was going to be one of, one of those nights. But at 3-1, it looked like that picked everybody's uh, step up a skip. And you know what? That's something that we have not seen consistently from an Oilers fourth line in many seasons. Um, And if they can play a solid defensive game and chip in like that every so often, that's really important when it comes to winning hockey games, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs when there are always fewer power play opportunities anyway. Um, So I thought the, the fourth line was on display in a very good way tonight. And I thought all three men uh, acquitted themselves very well. Yeah, tourists on that play, uh, uh, Bouchard made a good play at the point. To, to uh, uh, He backed off into the neutral zone. The puck came around and he read correctly that he could come up and make a play on it. Uh, and he shot it towards the net, but it was about two feet off the ice. And tourists batted it right down out of the air. And and was able to control it. And as you say, he kind of shoveled it over because it didn't like drop perfectly on a stick, but it dropped somewhere mm-hmm. where he could 
got a touch on it and sent it to Perlini and he kind of whacked it and found a hole like he's been doing the whole time in preseason. Man, he's on a, he's, <laughs> he's got a hot <laughs> stick right now, doesn't he? Shoots the puck that goes sure in does. the net. So hopefully some of that will continue in in, in the uh, uh, in the season. But I mean, between Perlini, who has three seasons of 14 plus goals in the NHL. Uh, and Turris, who has a history of an offense as an offensive player, I mean, you've got some actual potential offense on the fourth line. It's not like Jesse Juensu and, and uh, you know, and, and Gaten Haas and guys that have never scored more yeah. than five goals in the season. It's uh, God love him, Boyd Gordon. No sign, no sign of Leonard <laughs> Cottrell or Boyd Gordon, right? <laughs> Who gave gave you every ounce that they had, but (laughs) but those ounces didn't include many goals. So this uh, this fourth line may be uh, uh, an upgrade in that department. And I guess the question is, how well can they keep the puck out? uh, Fair point. To to you know, if they can saw off their part part of the game, whether it's high, medium, or low scoring, you know, the important part is you want your fourth line to. To uh, to not hurt you by getting outscored the way Oilers has been for the last last few years. So, so uh, my second good thing is the unstoppable, irrepressible Yessa Pulyarvi, <laughs> and I, I, I'm sounding like a broken record, but if I'm not mistaken, he's played three preseason games now, and he has two points in each one of them. And uh, the Oilers won all the games that he's played in. And uh, tonight he had the Yessa Pugliarvi hat trick, which is a goal, an assist, and a bone crushing hit. He mm-hmm. had definitely had the hit of the night for the Oilers on and, and a night where, and we're going to see a lot of this, where the other team is more physical than Edmonton. Right now, Edmonton does not have a very physical team. They've lost Adam Larson. They're without Josh Archibald for the, uh, uh, for the foreseeable. And they have. Uh, uh, you know, those were uh, two of their more uh, aggressive and consistent hitters uh, in the, in recent years. And they haven't really replaced them with that style of player. But Yasa has really picked up on the physical. Like he He's starting to realize that he's no longer, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a man in a man's body, in a plus-size body at that. He's uh, engaging and he's relishing it it looks like and when he gets the chance he he lays on the hits or he certainly will uh, battle get involved in the battle get in the way and tonight the uh, uh was dylan dubé i believe was the guy he flattened along the boards around the hash marks in the calgary zone in the, in the third period that uh, caught my eye but his goal uh you know was a, a, a real nice one-touch Oof. finish off a fine dry saddle pass and and Drysaddle passed it just out of the reach of Jakob Markstrom's goal stick. He he committed to try and pick off the pass. And all Yessa had to do was was get a piece of it and get it upstairs, and he put it right in up under the bar. And that was uh, right on top of the three-one goal, made it three-two. And then from there on in, it was uh, it was a hockey game. And then the assist, which nearly could have been a goal. I mean, last game he had two goals, and tonight his his assist was a shot that bounced off of. McDavid and on its way into the net, but again it was Yessa uh, cruising through the slot, taking a pass and letting fly and getting it on the target. So uh, he there was another play. Oh yeah, it was actually the same play of the hit where Rasmus Anderson came over and over he tried, the wall. yeah, tried to tried to uh, t- 
take on Yesif after the hit, and all Yesif did was engage both guys. Uh, <laughs> Dubé that he'd taken down with the hit, and Anderson would come out of position to uh, challenge him. And while Yesif's taking care of business in the corner and two flames out of the play, Derek Ryan walks right in and has a great chance to to uh, to put the game away. I think it was already 4-3 at that point. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yes, and he, and he kept his discipline. He didn't take the bait from Rasmus Anderson, and he shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it worked out. It would have worked out perfectly, of course, had Ryan scored, but he had every chance to. And it was just another play of Poliarvi, you know, engaging physically and and uh, messing with his opponents a little bit, and not creating an opportunity for a teammate. So lots to lots to like in JP's game tonight again. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with your assessment, and you know, and, and the, the the absence of Larson and Archibald, and, and and that certainly does make a difference. On the other hand, you know what? What they do have up front are some forwards who are big men. Uh, yes, he's one of them, who's certainly capable of playing big. Uh, Zach Cassian, capable of playing big. Warren Fogle. The more I watch him, the more I like him. Like he has very good skating skills and 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 pretty good puck handling skills, but he's a load. You know, and he's not, he's not afraid while he doesn't, you know, throw a bunch of hits like Josh, Josh Archibald does. He does use his, his frame to get really good body positioning and, Mm -hmm. and he's really strong in the cycle. So while I agree, I think they lost maybe a little bit of that. I might call it punch. They do have some big men up front and add Leon Dreisaitl to that who are awfully hard to knock off the puck. And if they arrive in a foul mood, (laughs) that could be a very good thing for the home team. Yeah, well, Fogel led the team tonight with three hits, and he, you know he just is sort of generally physicality is part of uh, part of his makeup for sure, and, and they're going to need that from him because they they've lost sort of their two hit first, ask questions later players, and, yep. and Cass, Cassian can be like that, but he's he's kind of up and down as we all know, like the tides. Mm-hmm. Whereas Josh Archibald, a large percentage of his game, he would he would. It would be a rare night where Josh wasn't a physical element at some point in the game or taking a run at somebody with his human torpedo playing style. Yep, this is true. And you know what? Uh, Jujar Kara played a, yes. offered oh, an yeah. element of that in his game as well, that. right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Jujar, he was something like second or third in the league last year in hits per 60. For the amount of mm. ice time that he got, he was just bringing it game after game. He'd have three and four hits in like 10 minutes of ice time. He put up, uh, you know, uh, so he, because he didn't play a huge amount, he wasn't like right among the hits leaders, but on a rate basis, he was right at, right at the top. Righto. So, Kurt, uh, bad thing, bad thing. We got to do one bad thing each. We should be able to find one. Yeah, well, you know what? I already alluded to the Flames forecheck, and I, I think that's the strength in their game. I think uh, that's probably how the Flames will generate a significant amount of their offense this year. Um, I think they're going to be challenged to to score enough goals this year, but their forecheck is quite effective, and we saw it on display, I'd say, from about halfway through the first period to about halfway through the second period tonight where I mm-hmm. thought it was really effective. Wow. And the bad thing I, I, I thought was how poorly the Oilers handled it. Um, and if you look at the number of, of uh, giveaways tonight, um, there were 10 giveaways by the Flames, 20 
by the Oilers. Now, certainly not all of that was in the defensive zone, but a good chunk of them were. <laughs> right. So, you know, if you if you lose the 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 giveaway battle two to one and still win, there's an element of, of good fortune there. Um, and so I really thought the Oilers defense, generally speaking, had a real hard time handling the Flames power play. Um, and I'll use as it's the poster boy of that, uh, the uh, Keith CeCe pairing. Now, I'll I'll preface that by saying, look, Duncan Keith has been on the ice for all of three days. Uh, and and this was his very first preseason game. So I'm I'm I'm. I'll, I'll wait until the regular season starts before I judge him too harshly, but it's fair to say his first period was forgettable. <laughs> right. And, uh, and CC's as well. I thought that pair were really challenged uh, to handle uh, that four check, which is, you know, a little unusual because both guys get around pretty well and both guys yes. are pretty sturdy. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's uh, I think part of it was uh, certainly rust on Keith's point. I thought mm-hmm. there was a couple of reads tonight that I saw him make that I thought that's not typical Duncan Keith right. uh, reading the play. I don't know CC nearly as well, so I, I can't really, you know, form the same criticism on him. Um, so I thought that was really the bad thing, and I, I think I thought at times, particularly for that 20-minute stretch, I thought it really exposed our second uh, second D pair. Interesting mm-hmm. though, you know, Dave kept marching them out there. Uh, and if you look at the time on ice tonight, Keith played 17:58 and CC 18:42. The third pairing, Cuckoo played 12:10 and Bouchard 12:56. Um, so I saw that as the Flames coaches saying, "We're going to make sure these guys get their reps." These guys being Keith and CC. Keith, in particular, admittedly, we all know the reasons why, has had a bit of a late start. Uh, to training camp. And so I think they're probably focused on trying to get him up to speed as quickly as possible. So they played him early and often tonight. And it wasn't always pretty. Um, I will say that both players, Keith in particular, I thought got better as the night went on. And by the third period, I thought both of them had had their feet under them better. Um, but we'll, we'll be able to tell more in, in the coming days. But uh, I thought it was a sore point tonight. And at one point, it looked like it was going to cost the the Oilers, the game, but of course their power play uh, had other ideas. Well, the, the Keith CC pairing got burned for uh, for two goals against and uh, won the breakaway. Uh, and unfortunately, there's no replays up on NHL.com, so we really just got the one look at what happened there, and it was uh, uh, Keith and CC and the, and the McDavid line, and they took somehow turned the puck over in the neutral zone and and. Uh, Calgary counterattack with a good pass for the breakaway by Johnny Goodrow, put an unreal shot off the post and literally buried the puck under the crossbar on, on top mm-hmm. of the net cam. Don't think I've seen one quite there before. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt some people were complaining about Miko's glove hand, though. I mean, uh, I that think was that would shot. I think that would <laughs> sail over the glove of most NHL goaltenders. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Uh, but Keith, to me, uh, what concerned me was a couple times down low, uh, where one time he let, should have been his man, he came off the end boards, and he, he didn't just have a wraparound, but he came well out in front where he had a decent angle and a, forced a good save from Koskinen just because Keith didn't close that gap. Yeah. And then later he was in the play in the similar area, similar area where Keith, wasn't kind of in the right place 
but he got burned by a pass from the end boards to a guy that was behind him and he had a great one timer shot. You gotta you know, you gotta close down that passing lane and yeah, um, that second one was that the one where no, because that was I was thinking the first one because he was also on the ice in the first goal where Cuckoo got beaten behind the goal line, right? Oh right, yeah, that that was uh, yeah. So CC wasn't on the ice for that one. My bad. That was that was Cuckoo lost behind, and that was on. This is a different play again on the on the goal, where CC got beaten behind the uh, uh, the goal line, and and uh, Keith was not able to bail him out. So where are we? We're at bad things. My bad thing. I, Your I'm bad write, thing. Yeah. I'm going to go right down to the last 15 seconds of the third period, uh, when uh, uh, the Oilers are defending five against six. It's actually let's let's call it the last 20 seconds because there was a face-off with 20 seconds left, and Tippett. I don't think he would do this in a in a real game, regular season game, but he took off McDavid, Drysaitel, uh, because they played already a minute-long shift and replaced them with uh, Nugent Hopkins. Uh, between uh, Hyman and I'm not sure who the right winger was because Yamamoto he got banged up there right at the end. But yeah, uh, he I, got caught along the boards. I'm not sure who was out there either. Anyway, uh, uh, what happened was um, uh, Drysdale got pu- pushed up to the first line and uh, Hyman down to the second, and that put Nuge into the middle. And so Nuge got the puck just inside his own blue line, as I recall, without a lot of pressure on him. 15 seconds left. And the play there is that, you know, you want to get it out. You want to get it over center. You want you want to get it in their zone, maybe even to the face-off circle. What you don't want to do is ice the puck. And he got too much weight on it and, and did ice the puck. And there was 10 seconds left. And here we have 10 seconds left. And the Oilers have, like, five good face-off men. And they're all on the bench. And Nugent Hopkins is the only center out there, and he got absolutely cremated in the faceoff that followed, went straight back to, I think it was Rasmus Anderson, with a rocket of a point shot and some flames pressure at the end that was just kind of unnecessary. Like, it was a play that, just, you know, it's a fairly simple play to dump the puck and not ice it, and you just need to get execution in a place like that with the game on the line and... I'm sure if you asked him, he would say, I'm not happy with that either. But yeah. I mean, there's, we could single out lots of bad things, but that one was fresh on the memory as the game ended. So you want well, sure. I mean, in a, in a, very often, but yeah, well, you know what, in, in a normal regular season game, the game's on the line there, right? Yes, so that's absolutely. a, well, that's a big play. For, so I agree. I agree with you. It's uh, a friend of mine texted me after Nuge iced the puck there and said, I think we have to send Nuge to the Russ Howard school of curling <laughs> to get his weight a little bit better. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to you want a guard there and not a not a not a, uh, yeah. uh, not, a not a hack weight shot yeah. Yeah. through the end line. That's for sure. Anyway, it was uh, uh a small thing, but at, at crucial times, under crucial circumstances, small things can be everything. Yep. So, we have left numbers. Kurt, what number grabbed your eye from this game? Speaking of face-offs, um, my numbers tonight are 60, 60, 62, and mm-hmm. 50, which okay. were the face-off percentages tonight for McDavid, Dreisaitl, Ryan, and Shore. 
Um, right. And I know there's there, there's 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 folks out there that will quibble with the importance of of faceoffs. The way I've always thought of it is, it's always easier to play this game with the puck. And typically, when you win faceoffs, you have possession. Uh, and you know what? I think there there are four guys uh, on the team. Given how far McDavid has come with his faceoff ability. We have four guys now who you could theoretically put on the ice at a tough spot and have a reasonably high level of confidence. They might win a draw for you, um, including if your big two guys actually aren't on the ice. Um, Ryan being at 62 tonight and Shore being at 50. So um, it's a nice spot to be in. Um, and you've got another center or two that are on the ice that can also take a draw like, like Kyle Turris, who took a few draws on his strong side uh, tonight. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think, uh, when you're an offensive geared team, like the, like the Oilers where possession is, is nine tenths of the law, I think winning those face-offs and getting possession is, is a very good thing indeed looking forward. And that's, that's the, uh, one of the costs of doing business when, when Tippett chooses to put McDavid and Drysaddle together is he's got two good, but both left shot face-off men, so only one will participate in the face-off, and that then becomes a potential weakness on the second line. But yep. uh, there, <clears throat> they, one thing that Tippett has done a lot of in this preseason uh, with this line that's really kind of stuck together the whole time, Devin Shore with uh, Brendan Perlini and Kyle Turris, as he's gone strictly to the strong side draw options with Shore taking the ones on the left side of the ice and tourists taking the ones on the right side of the ice. And on Saturday night, it was tourists that was far the more effective of the two who went seven out of eight on Saturday night. Tonight, he went 0 for 3 on his three draws, but uh, Shore held his own on the other side of the ice. But it's a way to sort of maximize the ability of both guys by having them take face-offs only on their strong side. It's a, it's you know, that's a, an old... Interesting strategy. It's just one of those little marginal advantages. You might as well take advantage. <clears throat> That's an old trick of Dave's. Uh, you might remember when he coached the world, uh, the world championship team that one year, he had, a, he had a bunch of, uh, bunch of guys on his team. Um, he had, he had, a, he had, he had extra centers is what well, he had, which is pretty typical when you have a national team, team right? Yeah. yeah. And so he had a bunch of their, he had two centers, I believe on each line. Uh, and one happened to be the way they lined it up. One was a lefty and one was a righty. And so they constantly had, had their guys taking draws in their strong sides. And I, I think they ended up with the tournament like at 85, 90% on faceoffs. Like it was some unreal winning percentage. And that's going with that strong side uh, tactic that we saw from, from Tippett tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen it throughout. And I think he, he, he fancies it enough that, that he's going to, he's going to like to keep that option when he can. And that works out well for uh, Mr. Kyle Turris. Yes, indeed. Right on the bubble in terms of uh, getting ice time, and if he establishes some kind of sort of one-two platoon punch and the and the face-off dot, that's just one more reason for uh, uh, the coach to want to put him in the lineup. Yeah, so. I think Kyle Turris made the team tonight. In fact, I mm-hmm. think he might have made the team before tonight. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean he'll be here all year, but right. I have a pretty strong sense he's going to start the season here. I'm just playing, I think, not too bad. My, my concern about him is, is uh, in the defensive end. I don't think he's a strong defensive center for sure. 
the jury's out as to how well he's going to play uh, even the, the lesser defensive responsibilities at wing, and that's uh, that's part of his uh, part of his game that uh, that he needs to focus on a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, his I, offensive game, uh, you know, it's coming around. He's done some nice things, and mm-hmm. he's got a good shot, you know, and and he's a uh, 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 fairly nifty playmaker. He can skate a little bit, like he he has skill, and mm-hmm. so he, you know, he he, he does have uh, uh, some value. Last year, we saw very little of the skill in the offensive zone, and the defense was was poor, and the combination was just not good at all when they. They just miscast him, in my view, as a three C. That's not really, that's not really Kyle's game. He was a top six center, and if he's going to be a bottom six player, he, he probably needs to be uh, a little bit uh, um, out of the line of fire and playing the wing position. And that's what they've got him doing now. And I think I think they fixed, uh, you know, from their original expectations, they've adjusted to the actual player that they have now. Yep, that's a pretty good call. What's your number? Okay, my number. I'm just going to look at Evan Bouchard. He only played 12 minutes and 56 seconds tonight. And of that 11, just over 11 minutes was that even strength. He played a little bit uh, shorthanded, even less than that on the power play because the first unit was getting the job done. So he had an assist. He was plus one. Uh, He had three shots to uh, co-lead the defenseman tied with Tyson Berry, who played more than twice as much time as he did in all that power play time. Uh, five shot attempts. Uh, he had a hit, a couple giveaways, takeaway, block shot. Like he was involved in the game in various aspects. But I thought the possession numbers were uh, uh, particularly interesting for Bouchard in those 11 minutes where Edmonton uh, uh, had 12 shots on net, so more than a shot a minute with Evan Bouchard on the ice uh, and just six against. Of course, they scored the goal and didn't allow any. They had. Uh, Advantage in scoring chances, 10 to 6, and, and uh, uh, high danger chances of 5 to 3. So, in other words, when Evan Bouchard was on the ice tonight, the puck was going in the right direction. And on one occasion, it went in the right net. And I didn't see that he had any particularly egregious problems on the defensive side of the puck. He's never going to be perfect back there. And, and frankly, his his defending reminds me a little bit more of Justin Schultz than I would like on some occasions. Yep. But, yep. <laughs> but uh, he's got such uh, such uh, uh, skills on the offensive side of the game, and you know he's got the smarts, he's got the beautiful passing, he's got the dangerous point shot, he's got really to me really good decision making with the puck. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and he's just scratching the surface. Obviously, I mean, he's played what 21 NHL games, so player to watch and the third play pairing is the place for him to be I'd, I'd like to think there'd be a role for him on on at least the second power play unit because of his proficiency on the on the pp but for now let's study what he does at uh, at evens and tonight the, the stats uh, back up my imperfect observations during a stream game that he played pretty well and that the that uh he'd done uh, that the puck had been uh, going in the right direction when he was out there and when he was on the ice with McDavid, the shots were 4 nothing for Edmonton. When he was on the ice with Nugent Hopkins, different line, it was 5-1 for Edmonton. When he was on the ice with uh, Perlini, different line again, it was 5-2 for Edmonton. I mean, the puck was, uh, uh, the puck was uh, um, in Calgary's end a lot more than Edmonton's, and it was uh, uh, so... 
just little little signs, but little positive signs, you know, good arrows for uh, for Evan Bouchard and, and uh, good on him. This is an important time in his career. You know, um, I, I saw Evan Bouchard exactly the same way you did tonight. So I agree with everything you just said. My biggest worry about Evan Bouchard isn't Evan Bouchard. Um, it's it is how people will handle his ups and downs this year. Uh, and fresh in my mind is sitting uh, in Rexall Place uh, with the young Jeff Petrie, who mm-hmm. would look like you know a, a potential future Norris winning defenseman one shift, and and a and a <laughs> East Coast Hockey League defenseman the next, um, and. I hope people understand that as a as a wet behind the ears NHL defenseman, Evan Bouchard, like his preseason, will have some nights that won't go his way. Right. Um, but if if the coaching staff is consistent with them and sticks with them, yeah. I think you'll get way more nights that do go well. And eventually, the ones that don't will start to be less and less, and the ones that would do will start to be more and more. I think at this point in his career, confidence will be everything. And so I really hope that the coaching staff and the fan base are prepared for those bad nights, understanding, eh, he's a rookie. That's one of those nights. There's a really good chance the next night will be better. Right. Yeah. When you're talking about how people will react, I had sort of two streams of thought. One, how will the how will the fans, will they be all over him when he, you know, when things aren't going his way? You know, will they be patient? But the same question is for the coach, you know, will he yep. hang in when the guy has his tough nights and tough moments? And Absolutely. You know, will he, will he keep throwing him back out there or will he, even in a night where it's completely going wrong and, and he, and he has to pull him back a bit, will he come right back with him the next game and give him the same opportunity from the start of the game that he would get on another game with, you know, let it, letting bygones be got bygones. Cause he'll have tough nights, as you say, sure. I mean, it's inevitable. Every young defenseman has tough nights. Yeah. Well, you know what, uh, Bruce, if they're really serious about this player, they mm-hmm. will do what you just said. Yeah. Well, they seem they're saying the right thing. So yep. I hope so. Show me. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's such yeah. a rare thing for the Oilers to to develop a player internally. Now, in this case, of course, he's a first round draft pick and, and a top 10 pick. So he went. Uh, uh, so that's the kind of player the Oilers have have had success with over the years. But most of that success has come when they just shoved the guy right in the NHL right away, if he's a forward, especially, or, or early on. And Bouchard's a guy that they've actually spent some time developing to the point where he's been the number one prospect on our Cult of Hockey Prospect Series for four summers in was, a row. Was it four? I knew it four. was three. Yeah, so, 28 from, he was drafted in 2018. And he still hasn't got to his 25 games, so he was still on the list in 2021. He was the number one prospect all four years. This year, he had to hold off three other first-round draft picks where they've actually got some some of these picks where they haven't just rushed them into the NHL, and they are bubbling under, but we, we still had him ranked number one. So, But the time is now for him to go from prospect to player. Yeah, And I don't expect him to go from prospect to star in one easy jump, but I do expect him to be a, a full-time NHL third pairing, that's fine. Just get him in playing games night after night and watch him improve. Yep. 
And boy, I'm ever glad we have you and the stick. I mean, you would remember those rankings. I voted in them every year. But you're the guy that actually remembers how they turned out. Oh, well, I have to write the rap every year. So I'm always looking at what we did in prior years. And literally, yeah. since we started doing it in 2010, we had a different number one prospect uh, the first eight years in a row. No, 2011. First seven years in a row, we had a different number one. And then in, since 2018, it's been the same guy, four years running. Mm -hmm. So it really has changed. And that's, I think a little bit of that is, you know, Ken Holland came here in 2019 and and his approach is uh, uh, is a little bit different with young players. And that's maybe a debate for another night. But does he hold them down too much and fill the gaps with sort of medium level NHL players that, uh, that, um, makes it tough for them to, to get a toehold on this club, but uh, for sure he gives them time to develop. And so for Bouchard, development time is hopefully in the past in terms of outside of the NHL, he's still going to be developing, believe me, and he's going to be learning and he's going to be learning some harsh lessons, but uh, he's also going to be contributing uh, uh, in positive ways in, in many games, I'm sure of it. I'll admit I ended up thinking about two players tonight that were not on the ice. Mm -hmm. I ended up thinking about Ryan McLeod and I ended up thinking about Tyler Benson uh, mm -hmm. and just wondering uh, this time next week where they'll be. Uh, and when you watch a game like tonight, you get the performance out of the fourth line that you did tonight. Um, I have a hard time thinking, I don't know what, what, how you feel, Bruce. I have a hard time thinking that both of those guys are going to start the season here. No, it seems unlikely. I mean, they have, um, uh, the difference between the, the two of them is that uh, um, Ryan McLeod is uh, exempt from the waiver wire. So he can be sent out without having to be exposed on waivers. Tyler Benson can't. So if it comes down to any sort of coin flip tiebreaker between the two, that'll decide it. Because why why risk losing a guy who spent five years on when he's on the cusp? But better to give keep Benson around, give him some games and let, you know, let, let's give him at least a shot to show what he can do in the regular season. Because I'll, I'll make this fearless prediction, Kurt. Brendan Perlini is not going to keep scoring a goal a game. Just not going to happen. Sorry. Sorry, Oil fans. Yeah, we had this conversation <laughs> once before. I think we've all seen, I was talking to another real good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. We've all seen these players have great starts and sometimes have completely great training camps, right? Yep. But when push comes to shove, boy, once once January hits, what are they? Uh, and so I'm I'm thrilled for Brandon Perlini now, and I'm right. thrilled for us. Right. Um, but what I said back to this friend of mine was, the difference between these guys and the good ones is the good ones learn how to do that consistently. Yeah, and even the good ones, you know, goal scorers, they tend to be streaky, some of them. And then, you know, they'll, you know, they'll go through a run for a couple of weeks where they're scoring almost every game, you know, where they have a couple of two goal games and they have, you know, six or seven goals in eight games or something. And then they might go dry for a while. Well, Perlini, you know, he is a goal scorer. He's, he's, he's shown that in, in the past, but in a sense, he's wasting a hot streak at a time where those goals don't count. In another sense, he's not wasting it at all because he'd have no hope of making this team if he happened to be yeah. having a dry spell right now, right? Like Cooper Marodi did or like Tyler Benson is. So because Perlini is scoring, they're going to keep keep going back to him. So from his perspective, the timing's not bad at all. 
there was a, I had a, I had a manager when I played senior intermediate baseball manager's name was Dean Corbett. And Dean had this great saying, you got to win to get there. (laughs) (laughs) I think that probably applies to Brendan Perlini. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's winning the, 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 the battle, you know, I mean, can't argue the guy's got five goals. He's got an assist and, uh, uh, he got that beauty, beauty in the shootout, uh, they, you know, the sort of the bogus bonus shootout they had at the end of the Everett yeah. game. Not sure how did... many people saw that, but it was oh. a thing of beauty, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he did the old Peter Forsberg with panache. <laughs> just, a, just a beautiful series of moves and the most casual tuck you're ever going to see. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, you know, he does have hands and he does have size and he does and have speed. speed. Yeah, and so coaches are going to go back to that all the time. The question with those kind of players is, can they bring it consistently? Yeah, I'll fall over backward if Ken Holland doesn't go fourteen and seven. What about you? Yeah, I think William Lagason's in a world of hurt. Yeah, I just, I just um, I'm not seeing it. I I thought he had a real bad game on Saturday night, and that was an important game for him. And he was chasing high in the zone all night and getting burned. Yeah. And he's no longer waiver exempt, right? So No, that's right. He wasn't last year. Last year they waived a goalie because they didn't want to waive Lagos. And this year I yeah. think they're less reluctant to put him out there. Agree. Because uh, I think what what he he played some games last year, he showed well at times, but what I think he's fairly definitively shown by now in his draft plus eight year is that the ceiling is not very high. So yeah. if you lose a guy, you can find another guy, right? He's your prototypical 7-8, right? Yeah. 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 And, you know, I mean, possibly he might peak as a third-pairing guy. It's hard to imagine him ever being a top four in this league. And I, I had hopes that he was sort of a, a dark horse uh, guy that had a little more offense than you realized at the, at the AHL level. Um, but that hasn't really translated here at all. So I think he's in tough. So I think 14 and 7 is, is likely the way. And, of course, you never know who's going to get banged up between now and the end of camp that the injury list could wind up being a factor in that, too. And they don't have to yeah. waive anything. Yeah, no, for sure. One thing that might work in Ryan McLeod's favor, I agree completely because he's waiver exempt. It makes it easy to send him down there. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, he's a guy who can play more than one forward position. He can take a face off for you. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's been on as many PKs as as uh, as uh, Tyler Benson has, so he's he's a little more a little more of a Swiss Army knife. If you're if you're going to be here as a thirteenth, fourteenth forward, you probably have to be able to do more than one thing, right. and that that he can. So it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see uh, you know where the where the where the decision is made between the skills that he can bring to the table. Uh, and the contractual advantage that he he gives the club. Right. Well, on the other hand, the Oilers have a few Swiss Army knives up front already. They've got, I mean, on the on the fourth line even, with Devin Shore and Kyle Turris, they have two guys that play both center and wing or can. Yep. Uh, obviously, Drysaddle and Nuge flipped from center to wing tonight, and they, they've been doing that on an ongoing basis. Uh, they have a few guys who can play either wing, like Zach Hyman, Warren Fogel, so you know they're they're if it, they need to move positions around. You don't need all twelve guys on your roster to all be able to play every position, but you want yep. enough versatility in the group that you can stick a Tyler Benson in there and say, okay, you're a left winger, play left wing. We can work around. We can work with that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the other thing with with uh, with uh, with McLeod is that you know what, just be, just just because you get sent down doesn't mean you're spending the season there. Oh, of course. And as you just said, who knows how long this hot streak will last for Brendan Perlini, and who knows if Kyle Turris sure looks good in preseason, but then we get 2021 version of Kyle Turris, and then in the meantime. Ryan McLeod's been playing 20 minutes a night for 10 games. So, yeah, it, it, it'll just it'll be interesting to watch one. Yeah, well, based on his camp, I, I would say he has not had a, a strong camp. I haven't seen him good, McLeod. And uh, I do see some, you know, beautiful skating. He's very good for sort of from blue line to blue line, transporting the puck. Uh, but not really flashing much offense at this level yet. And uh, on the wrong side of his check in the, in the defensive zone a little bit. Uh, that uh, I don't think he's been particularly effective through the four or five games that he's played at this point. And, and so he's he's on the bubble, and they do have that luxury that uh, he's waiver-exempt. So uh, if he's not killing it, he might be the sort of easy pick for them to say, no, he, we saw him good last year, and he came on. We're going to make him do the same thing again this year and play his way yeah. up from Bakersfield. Well, and it won't take them all season like it did last year. It might happen yeah. fairly soon. Yeah, certainly it's it's you're not stuck in the minors this year like you kind of were last year just because of the circumstances. Um, yeah. But I, I think another reason why we're likely to see McLeod down and a guy like Turris stay is Dave Tippett's in the contract year. Yeah. Dave yeah, needs to win, and Dave knows yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lots of veterans around, and they seem to be tending towards veterans. And, of course, when you talk about veterans, that, that extends to our uh, veteran GM, our veteran head coach, our veteran uh, head pro scout. I mean, there, there's a lot of lot of senior guys in the organization that tend to prefer veterans. And certainly when you see some of the acquisitions in the offseason of Keith and, and – uh, Ryan and bringing back Mike Smith, you know, we're talking about guys that are deep into their careers that mm-hmm. are going to be counted on to uh, to play an important role. And we'll see if it works. I mean, I always wonder about uh, Edmonton in particular and older players with the with the absurd travel schedule that the Oilers have mm-hmm. that takes a toll. But um, I guess, I mean, we gave Ken Holland the keys two years ago and Dave Tippett. We might as well see where they're going to drive us without complaining from the back seat every step of the way. So. <laughs> you mean we're not supposed to go ditch to ditch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Kurt, I guess that'll wrap it up for uh, for tonight's uh, 4-3 win over the Flames. Let's just say that with a smile on our faces. Beat the Flames, beat the Flames. Every and, time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I will say thank you to you, Kurt, very much for uh, uh, for stepping up to the plate tonight and lending us your expertise on uh, on on the game. So thanks. For, uh, uh, you're more than welcome. Talk. It's 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 always, it's always a treat spending the evening with you. So thanks a lot, my friend. Thank you, Kurt, and thanks to you and the audience for listening. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcasts.